is good. It's good worship, isn't it? It is very much so, very much so. So we've been in a series called Thriving, not just, bless you, not just surviving. And I really think it's been good for my soul because it's a good reminder that that I don't just have to ride the current. You know, I, I, I don't have to float downstream and, for lack of a better way of saying it, just experience wherever the stream takes me. Life feels that way a lot of times, doesn't it? Right? That life's just carrying you some way, in some way, somehow, somewhere, and you just... You have no control over what it is you experience. A lot of ways of what I'm saying is Daniel certainly learned the lesson, I think. It's a lifelong lesson for most of us. That there's what happens to you and then there's how you respond to what happens to you. And how you respond to what happens to you is of a much greater influence than simply the things that happen. We've been in Daniel chapter 6 this week, last week. We're going to see it through today, but the thing I want you to see today, last week was really about character. It was about integrity. It was about becoming a person who's solid, who's whole, a a person whose life has a wholeness to their soul. This week... I want to see how that wholeness in his soul that came from God helped him to withstand an attack on his faith. Have you ever felt attacked in this world? Maybe, maybe at work someone you know, goes after you. Maybe, maybe it's an attack on your faith. Maybe it's not. One of the saddest things to me in our society is how much we pit ourselves against one another the ways we battle one another. And that carries over even into church culture. You know, I mean, honestly, it it saddens me a bit when I I open social media and I see the whole, like, like Christian take of, "Well, well, hey, world, we're better than all of you. It saddens me because, frankly, we're not. (laughs) Yes, I said that. We're being honest. It's okay to be honest in church, isn't it? It saddens me because in the Christian world, I see a lot of, you know, I'm better than you type stuff, right? Pretty pharisaical. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. The world is as it was in Jesus' day, minus a lot of modern tech, or adding with it a lot of modern technology today. But, but, but really, the world has always had the religiously prideful. The world has always had bitter attacks. The world has always had the I'm better than you crowd. And just watch social media sometime. Look for the I'm a better Christian than you movement or the I'm a better mom than you movement or I can't leave guys out so my truck is better than yours movement. <laughs> what year is your truck, Craig? Yeah. That's beyond being a classic these days, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the reality is that 
you can't go through life without attacks happening. Another way of saying that is you can't go through life without a lion's den. And frankly, most of us would rather skip the lion's den. But what we skip when we skip the attack, when we skip the lion's den, is we skip the goodness and the faithfulness of God in the story. We miss what God is really doing when we want to skip the hard stuff. So let me just remind you a bit of the story. We covered this part last week, but Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to just read a couple of verses summarizing the first uh, few verses, verse 10. Verse 3 says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps, these were the uh, leaders of the kingdom, sort of the government officials under the king, he so distinguished himself among them by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. It's worth remembering now that Daniel is not talking about his own kingdom. He's not talking about serving in the kingdom of Israel. He was taken as a prisoner of war. He has served faithfully in Babylon's kingdom. Now the Median Persian kingdom has taken over the Babylon kingdom, and he has been faithful to God under one king that was not of his faith background. Now he is faithful to God serving another king who is not of his faith background. Verse 4 says, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so, and they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? That these administrators and satraps go on to devise a scheme. They go to the king and they say, look, O king, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you're so awesome. This is how politics works, right? (laughs) And so after a little kissing up and those kinds of things, there is that, hey, here's what we think you should do. All the leaders have agreed, this was a lie, of course, but all the leaders have agreed that we should, you really, king, should issue a decree that anyone who prays to any God or any human being for the next 30 days, except for you, should be, well, executed, but the means of execution would be to be thrown into the lion's den. Now, I pointed this out last week, but Daniel was actually already in a lion's den before he was in the lion's den, right? Because he was in the lion's den of politics. And I, I, I'm, I don't have... I would be a lousy politician. I, I just would. I, I don't have much stomach for it. I mean, even church politics, honestly. I, I, here at Harvest, we try to manage away that stuff. Like, it's, it, it's, that's not the mission. It's not the point. It's not why we're here. The more time we spend on the infighting, the less time we spend reaching people with the goodness of grace, with the goodness of Jesus Christ. But we, too, live in a lion's den, even if you're not a politician. Any of you politicians? All right, all right. Any of you not politicians? All right, any of you just rooting for a good game and good snacks? Just going back to, you know, neither nor, I I don't know, I don't know. We all live in a lion's den. Think about it this way. David said in the 57th Psalm, this 57th Psalm was David in a cave having been pursued by Saul, running for his life, he wrote, I am in the 57th 
Psalm 57, verse 4, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows and whose tongues are sharp swords. Have you felt that sting before? The arrows of the human mouth? The way humans go after humans? And I might remind us that as Christians, the Bible says that we have an enemy, the devil, 1 Peter 5, 8, tells us to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, how many of you know the rest of the story? I'm, a, I'm assuming it's the majority of this crowd. Probably even a lot of you watching online, if you don't know a lot about the Bible, you probably still have heard something about a guy named Daniel who did something, you don't know what it was, and he was thrown into a den of lions, and I hate to say it, but you all know how the story turns out. I'll come back to that in a second. You know, when you set out as Daniel to live as a person of integrity, a person of wholeness, as a person of character, and I'm going to go just a step further, a person of faith, and you're public about that faith, there will be people who cheer on your faith, and there will be people who attack your faith. There's no way around that. But when you set out to distinguish yourself, you end up with a target on your back. So what we'll look at for these next minutes and moments is what do you do when there's an attack on your faith? Who will you be when there's an attack on your faith? And where is God when faith and culture collide, when faith and friendship collide, when faith and faith collide, when faith and life collide? How will you respond? By the way, this maybe goes without saying, but do you know who attacks your personal faith the most? You could say those two are both right, right? That the devil gets you to attack your faith quite a bit. Because you tell yourself messages, yes, come on, come on, come on. We all talk to ourselves. Self-talk is normal, right? I talk to myself more than I talk to anybody else. And most of the talk I do with myself is not all that encouraging to my faith at times, right? That there are times where what I tell myself, the story I tell myself, is that sense of, well, you're awful. Well, if people knew what you were really like. Man, if people knew what really echoed through your mind and soul, they'd think, well, you're a Christian, you know? It's just easy to attack our own faith. So how will you respond when your faith is attacked? I'm going to let you in on a secret. How I respond, this is the one thing I'm trying to communicate today. How I respond when I'm attacked and this is really true of faith, and it's true of when your faith is attacked. It's true when you're attacked in any other way. How I respond when I'm attacked is largely determined by who I am before I'm attacked. In other words, the time to prepare for an attack is before war ever happens. How I respond when I'm attacked is largely determined by who I am in advance, who I am up front. I want to see if I can explain it with a spiritual principle that I think will make a lot of sense. And this is sort of the, I don't know, the second thing. Rachel this morning was like, this next thing after the one thing, is that, is that still the one thing or is that the, I don't know, it's the second thing. I don't, I don't know. It's, write this in your notes if you're taking notes. Faith produces faithfulness. 
All right, so you're getting that written down. After you finish writing that down, I want you to repeat it with me. Faith produces faithfulness. Faith produces faithfulness. This is how this cycle works. You choose to be a person of faith, and that produces... Yes, you guys are very smart. But we can actually add to the equation, really, a bit if we want the cycle. Faith is a response to God who is at work, who is a faithful God. I'm not going to say that my faith produces the faithfulness of God, because that would imply that my lack of faith or my unfaith produces the unfaithfulness of God. And God doesn't work that way. God is faithful. The Bible's clear. It's God is faithful, period. So faith is a response to the faithfulness of God. But in faith, when I am trusting the faithfulness of God, that points me to be faithful myself, right? Which in turn receives again the faithfulness of God, which points me back to faith. And so your heroes of the faith, people you respect highly in the faith, are people who have learned to live in this cycle where faith produces faithfulness and faithfulness produces faith, and faith produces faithfulness. And in all of that, they're experiencing the faithfulness of God at work. And the flywheel of sorts just speeds up and up and up. And you look at them and you go, but they seem to have such faith, and I don't. And what they've, what they've learned to do is live in the faithfulness of God... And trust the faithfulness of God so much so that they're willing to bet on the faithfulness of God more than they're willing to bet on the faithfulness of anything else or everybody else. Or even the faithfulness of themselves, frankly. Now, I told us last week, right? We're not, none of us are perfect when it comes to character, when it comes to integrity. None of us are Jesus. So it's worth noting that today. I'm not trying to say that they're, you know, like classes of Christians where they're the super faithful and then they're, you know, sort of all of the rest of us. Only a few achieve that status. And what I am saying is that as we mature in our faith, we learn this lesson, don't we? That we really can trust God because God at his core is good and God at his core is faithful and God at his core is going to be faithful to his promises, faithful to what he's doing, and faithfulness to the mission he's put in our lives. And so in faith, we learn to begin to trust that, which promotes faithfulness. I, I referred to this as a flywheel of sorts. Any of you fishermen, you know, flywheel, you, you, you get, you, when you get the flywheel moving right, right, it, it just, things just continue. But we could use different pictures of this. Think about it as if you're familiar with investing or banking, we could use the compound interest idea of this, that faith begets faithfulness, which produces more faith. And pretty soon you're reaping faith on faithfulness and faith on faith from before. And it's just compounding as you go. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, talk with your HR people about 401ks and how investing works. They'll, they'll set you up on all of that. But but let's go another direction. If it's not the flywheel, if it's not compound interest, then let's think about farming. Let's think about gardening. What you plant is what you... Yes, I have never planted, you know, like cucumber and gotten tomato. I, I was just wondering if I've ever planted cucumber. 
Yeah, I know, because it just, it just, I think in our adult life, the answer is no. I had a garden once when I was a kid, and I think maybe we had some in that. But the bottom line is that what you, what you reap is what you sow. The Bible talks about this principle. And so, so in our lives, we want to plant more faith and reap more faithfulness. And I'm going to tell you, it starts with whatever situation you're in, because how I respond when I'm attacked is determined by who I am before I'm attacked. So right now is the best time in your life to plant faith. Faith in God, particularly. Not faith in yourself, but faith in the goodness of God. So again, I will just say, how will you respond when you're attacked? I'm trying to let us in on this secret. Let me give us five principles for faith and faithfulness. Five principles that I, I, I want to ask today. What is it that faith and faithfulness teach me about life, about God, about his goodness? Let me just start here. Number one, I said, oh, I just said a second ago that the greatest, the person who attacks your faith the most is probably not somebody else. It's probably you. This principle goes along with that. that the greatest threat to my faithfulness to your faithfulness. The greatest threat to our own faithfulness in this world, our faithfulness to God, might be our position or our possessions. Our position or our possessions. I would remind you that in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was a very young man. He was probably 15, 16 years old when he was taken as a prisoner of war. And in Daniel 1, we see Daniel being faithful. Now that we're in Daniel 6, Six, we have Daniel probably in his 80s still being faithful to God. But Daniel has a lot more to lose now. Like in this story, how easy would it have been for Daniel to say, look, you know, I mean, I serve as one of the top three people in this entire kingdom. Like it, I, I can't give up that position or the privileges that come along with it. I, I don't want to give up the possessions that come along with that. I don't want to give up the power that comes. There's a lot of peas we can throw in here, right? Right. That there's. That I don't want to give up the notoriety, the popularity. The, that there's. We just talk ourselves into our own unfaithfulness all the time. It would have been super easy for Daniel to say, it's just 30 days and forsake his faith. Nobody has to know and forsake his faith. But here's what Daniel knew. Daniel knew that God would know and he would know. And he put his lot in God's hands. He put his life over and over in God's hands. This was sort of a no-brainer for Daniel because his position and his possessions were not the most important things in his life. God was the most important thing in his life. And so he wasn't going to be driven by an identity that says, I have an image that I have to keep up. He was rather going to be driven by the faithfulness of God in the moment. God was faithful to him. He was going to be faithful to God. It was a no-brainer. Principle number two, I am sometimes persecuted. And I'm going to use that word very delicately here today. And I'll explain why in a second. I am sometimes persecuted for what I choose to do, and sometimes I am persecuted as a Christian for what I refuse to do. 
Sometimes we're persecuted for what we choose to do, and sometimes we're persecuted for what we refuse to do. Let me say it this way. Non-believers don't really understand our faith. There are things we do that to them are weird. In fact, to some of us, there are things we do that are weird. Like getting up on Sundays and making a habit out of week in and week out worshiping the Lord. Or being a people who read an ancient book, which really they don't understand, but we do, is an ancient library. Right? It's a collection of 66 books written over thousands of years that collect the faith story of not only God's people, but God himself. Unbelievers may not understand why we would give so much away, why we would be such generous people, why we would cling to God more than we cling to our own lives. But let me say it this way. Persecution. Let me start there. I've heard a lot in the last couple of years how much Christians are being attacked and persecuted. And that's true if we're talking about Nigeria. Now seriously, like Google it. People are being slaughtered for their faith. Persecution. We mean it like somebody gave me a thumbs down button on Facebook. not sure there is a thumbs down button, but that's not exactly persecution. We take stands politically. I think I'm still waiting for somebody to say, you know, Brian, I am tired of you mentioning politics lately, but you can't study the book of Daniel without seeing that there is a contrast between kings and kingdoms that is significant here. And part of what Daniel is challenging us to do is to live for a greater kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. And I simply want us to see that when we get caught up in this cycle where we think faith and politics are the same thing, we're confusing something that really shouldn't be confused. I think, I don't remember who originally said this, but someone said, look, if you combine faith and politics, you know what you get? Politics. And so it's common, right? Every four years, politicians like to refer to faith and get and like just scoop up some more votes. Happens on both sides of the aisle. Persecution is a very strong word. And I would just caution us as Christian people to not use it lightly. But I do want to see that in the grand scheme of history, Christians have been persecuted. By that, I mean, I, 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 I mean beaten, I mean killed, I mean a lot of harsh things. And it still happens in the world today. And sometimes we're persecuted for what we choose to do. And sometimes we're persecuted for what we 
refused to do. Again, go back to Daniel's story. Verse 10 said, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, the one that said that, that he couldn't pray to any other, any other God or any other human being except to the king, Daniel went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He was, he was, he was thrown into the lion's den for what he would choose to do in this case. But do you remember Daniel chapter 3? Because Daniel 1, Daniel 3, and Daniel 6, these chapters really happen in... Actually, there's an interesting design of... It's a little hard to visually explain, but, but we showed a video at the very beginning of this series that sort of laid out a map of the book of Daniel, and you can see certain chapters in parallel when you lay the map out. And, and the bottom line is Daniel 1, Daniel 3, and Daniel 6 have a parallel to them that you remember Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace for what? Because they would not bow down to an image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Right? In fact, Daniel 3.12, there's some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. You remember that story? Right? It goes on, Daniel 3.17, they said, Rakshak and Benny said to Nebuchadnezzar, they said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. See, with Rakshak and Benny, it was about what they would refuse to do. They wouldn't worship the gods that were common in their day, this image of gold that was likely representative of the king. And Daniel's going through something very similar, except he's told not to pray to anyone but the king. And in both cases, they suffered severely, in a sense, thrown into a lion's den. You say, but Daniel didn't die. But did he know that when the lot was cast? Rakshak and Benny thrown into the fiery furnace, but, but they didn't burn up. Did they know that when they took their stand? Sometimes I'm persecuted for what I choose to do, and sometimes for what I refuse to do. And, and, and I'm just going to tamp down a bit on those of us in American life who say, there's a lot of, a, there's a lot of persecution going on in America right now. Like, I, I, I just find that for... For my fellow believers around the world who are literally being beaten for their faith, someone speaking against me or debating me or calling me out for my hypocrisy or challenging me to back up my faith and just show that it's reality, that's, that's not persecution, that's engagement. We should want that to a degree. We should want a world around us to engage with us and say, is your faith real? Number three. My primary responsibility, five principles of faith and faithfulness, my responsibility, my primary responsibility is to obey Jesus and just leave all the consequences to him. That's not a normal American trait. Obedience is not a word we're very comfortable with. 
In fact, in parenting life, it's sort of turned into a bad word anymore. Now, seriously, do you get that out, out in the world around us? But the Bible doesn't shy away from the word obey. And my primary responsibility is not to achieve my best life now or to achieve this dreams and ideals of consequences that I want that are good. So we think that we're trying to steer our faith ship towards this dream of an idealized life. And if faith gets me there, then great. But if it doesn't, then I'm going to abandon it because that's the goal of this idealized life. And I, I just want you to see that if that's our faith, that's not really faith. I mean, that's using God. That's not trusting God. Daniel and Rakshak and Benny were more in the equation where they were trusting God. Daniel believed that his primary responsibility, and I, I wrote obey Jesus because we're Christians. But Daniel would have said his primary responsibility was to obey God. And, and to be clear, Daniel's going to get around to who Jesus is. Wait till Daniel chapter 7. If you think the primary chapter in the book of Daniel is Daniel chapter 6, you haven't read Daniel chapter 7. The whole book rises and falls on this vision of God that Daniel has in Daniel 7. Like, I think we could spend 10 weeks in Daniel 7. I'm not. just telling you, I'm not. But we'd probably spend a couple of weeks there because Daniel 7 is significant. But as a Christian, my primary responsibility is to let God handle the consequences and to just do the right thing. Just, just faith produces faithfulness. Verse 10. We're going to pick up the rest of the story. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And then these men, the government administrators, went as a group and they found Daniel praying. Surprise, surprise. They knew what they were going to find and asking God for help. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. And they said, king, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And that, that phrase got emphasized over and over and over in this chapter because this is just the law of the land. And then they said to the king, you know, Daniel... You know who Daniel is, who is one of the exiles from Judah. The king would know this. It doesn't have to be pointed out. In fact, this probably has a sneer of racism in it, if you really listen. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, who's not one of us, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day, and when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. And he was determined to rescue Daniel. And he made every effort until sundown to save him. And then the men went as a group to King Darius. And they said to him, Remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed? And so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, this is his only hope at this point. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now this tells you that the king knew 
of the faith of Daniel, that he knew that Daniel had a reputation for serving his God faithfully. He said, may your God, whom you serve continually, faithfully, rescue you. And verse 17 says, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. I'm going to pause there. And I wish you didn't know this story. Because you can't hear it without knowing. I mean, I, I feel like reading this story and pausing in this moment is like explaining the movie Titanic, you know? Right? Like, did you know when you went to see Titanic what was going to happen? Or, or Apollo 13. Remember Tom Hanks? I think Tom Hanks was in that. But they made the movie Apollo 13. Like, how's this going to turn out? I mean, even the prequels to Star Wars, right? Right? They came back and you go, wait, no, what? I am your, you know. <laughs> right? It's like we know the end of the story. When we know the end of the story, we get used to skipping the middle of the story. But the tension here is, is ripe. I mean, it's, it's strong. Everyone knows what happens next. So how do I tell a story with suspense when everyone already knows how it turns out? And we tend to believe that we're responsible for achieving the outcomes and the consequences that we desire. And so much of our, like much of our society, we focus on the outcomes and the consequences we want, the successes that we want, and the failures we want to skip. But Daniel, in this case, knew that the most important thing was not the consequence and not the outcome. It was his trust in God. And so he was going to be faithful to God and trust that, much like Rakshak and Benny, even if I die, so be it. But I'm trusting God. Verse 17 is so powerful. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own ring and with his signet ring of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Really? Nobody could do anything about it. I've said this every time I preach this passage, I think I will say this. This should remind us of another story in the Bible where a stone is rolled over a, a grave for a man that's good as dead. And the, the, the difference, really, if you think about it, just go with me on this, is that Daniel and Jesus live a fairly significantly similar story. Jesus was persecuted for the way he taught faith. He was killed for the way he taught faith. Except the difference here is that God rescued Daniel in the lion's den, but Jesus was not rescued from the sting of death. And there's a reason for that. It's because the death was required to pay the price, the penalty, to, to, to rescue us, to redeem us from our sins. That what God would do, what Jesus, I think, honestly, would do for Daniel, he would not do for himself. Son, that will preach. Dude, you should write that in your notes. Number four. What did faith and faithfulness teach me? Number four, keep my eyes on Jesus, not on the lion. 
not on the lions. It's so, so easy to keep my eye on the lions. The most natural thing in the world when you're attacked is to keep your eye on the lions. Let me ask you in the first part of the story, I said Daniel was in the lion's den. Did his focus in life seem to be the politicians? No, because his eye wasn't on the lions. His eyes were on the lion of the tribe of Judah. When Daniel was in the lion's den, I mean, I don't know how that went. I mean, all my life, I've sort of pictured it as Daniel just like, 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 like just laying his head back on a lion and just patting a lion really nicely. Like, I would like to imagine it in the zoo, you know? Like, here, kitty, 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 you know? Like, oh, dude, that's good. Oh, yeah, good boy. You know, yeah, like, you know when you have a kitty, a, a cat, and you, you, you know, you, you do the thing in the back of, like, their spine, like, right in the middle of the back of their spine, their head turns, and they stick their tongue out. Did your cats ever do that? I could make my cat go, by just... Doing this in the middle of it, like there's a lot of things. It's something neurological. I don't understand it, but there are a lot of. It's a lot of. You know, I mean, like I still, I will go home to see my mom. I, home, right? I haven't lived in my mom's home in decades, and I'll go home to see my mom. She still has cats, and I mean, I am like a kid in a candy store with cats because I never get to be around cats because I'm allergic to them. So I drug up. I go to my mom's house, and I'm like, "Oh, cats, cool!" You know, like I've never seen kitties before, and. Like, I'm going to go to, you know, a little boxing with the cat, and you got to watch out for the, the sharp teeth of baby, the little kittens when you, you box them, you know? And like, that's how I picture Daniel in the lion's den. But maybe he went in deathly afraid. Maybe not. I don't know how it went. I know this, verse 18 says, Then the king returned to his palace, Spent the whole night without eating and without any <clears throat> entertainment. You can figure out what that is. Being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions, and they've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. I just, I just pause there because, because, again, I think we think we're supposed to control the outcomes, but Daniel knew that he was supposed to trust God, let God handle the outcomes. He did. There's this famous painting that I came across while prepping this message, and it was printed. It was by a British artist with a French name, painted in 1890 or so. And when I first saw the image, I thought, "This is striking," because maybe the angel was at the entrance to the den and not above the lions, as I would sort of picture it in his head. In my head, and maybe Daniel had his focus. Now, the reality is, this painting is, it, this may not be what the author intended. The, the painting is titled Daniel's Answer to the King. So, theoretically, this is Daniel talking to the king. But I got to thinking, why not? This is Daniel talking to the angel. And you know how consumed we get with the lions? 
Maybe it's because we're facing them too much and focused on them way too long. One last principle, number five. Faith and faithfulness open my life to what Jesus can do, not just what I can do. See, uh, faith, trust in the faithfulness of God, the God of working, and that points me to be faithful myself, which experiences the faithfulness of God working, which points me back to faith, and that flywheel gets moving. You know how this works, right? Faith and faithfulness open my life to what Jesus can do, not just what I can do, right? Verse 17, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Was it changed? Yeah. I mean, you could say, right? Right? And you and I have to know this, that what man can't change, what woman can't change, what I can't change, what you can't change, what other people can't change, what humans can't change, God can. And this is, again, where I like to pause and just think, you know, but we do everything we can to avoid difficulty. And I wonder sometimes if we don't miss the God story simply because we're looking for the easy way out, the way around, the way, the way to skip things. What man can't change, Jesus can. The best news ever is that Jesus had an empty tomb and that although they buried him and he died in it, the tomb was empty because Jesus is alive, right? This story points to that a bit because, because Daniel's alive in the story. Daniel's not Jesus, I know that. But Daniel's alive when the king comes around. Daniel was trusting God. Basically, Daniel thinks, live or die, I win. This is what Paul says when it comes to, you know, whether... <laughs> Whether I, whether I die, I depart, and I'll be with Christ, that's better by far. If I live, then I live for the mission of Christ with me, Christ in me, Christ doing what he wants to do in and through my life right here, right now. It's can't lose. Verse 23. The king was overjoyed. And gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in, thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. This is harsh, but remember, <laughs> the kingdoms of the world are harsh. And they lied to the king. They told the king up front, all the administrators, one of whom was Daniel... Three of them in charge of the whole kingdom. We all agree this is what should happen. They're just reaping the consequences of their own choices. And before they reached the floor, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Just, just, just to make sure we don't think that these were some drugged lions, you know? Like just, these were just some passive little kitty cats. Then King Darius wrote <laughs> to all the nations and the people's of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, this is, this is a large part of, 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 of the, the known world at the time, not all of it, but it, it, 
fairly good-sized kingdom, I issue a decree in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. And that phrase is really the key phrase that is the entire book of Daniel. So God takes Daniel as a prisoner of war to a foreign country for a foreign king, actually for multiple kings who don't worship him, to discover who Daniel's God is. And be, in a lot of senses, God, God did with Daniel what he had always intended to do, that the people of Israel were supposed to take the goodness of God to the nations, and they refused to do it. And because they refused to do it, and because they disobeyed, they faced consequences, and they had pride, and the consequences that they would suffer in this way. But Daniel knows the faithfulness of God, and God is faithful in all of it. And this, this, this king is saying, hey, check out the God of Daniel. Like You can't make this stuff up. God will grow you when you're attacked. That's what you skip if you skip the hard stuff. God will use an attack to refine your character, to grow your testimony. I mean, think about the God story that this is telling us. God will use an attack to bring others to worship my God, for people to come to salvation. Because faith produces faithfulness. And I don't want you to take God out of that equation. You got to have God in that equation. I don't know about you, but I don't want to shortchange the God story, do you? I need more of this in my life. I want to pray that for us. We always end our service with two prayers, and then Rachel's going to come back, and we're going to sing uh, just another chorus. But let me pray this for us. When we end our services, we end with two prayers because it's important that we engage us where we're at. And some of us have never become Christians before, maybe watching online or maybe right here right now. And if you've never become a Christian and you want to put faith in Jesus today, you can right here, right now. You just pray like this. Dear, dear God, please forgive my sin and please take over my life. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. I believe that you rose again, that you're alive today. And since you're alive, take over my life. Be my God. Thank you that you are always faithful. Help me to build my life on that. In Jesus' name. It's really that simple. When we come to faith, it's really that simple. It's not, it's not in the words of the prayer. It's in the heart behind it. But if you've come to faith for the first time today, man, I'd love to know it. I mean, I'd love for you to let me know. And in fact, if someone invited you, let them know. Because we'd love to talk with you about what it means. And we'd love to give you a Bible and talk about baptism and all the cool things we do to celebrate what God is doing. A lot of us prayed that prayer a long time ago. And yet we still need this faithfulness of God to be 
to be emphasized and reemphasized in our hearts and souls. And any, anybody besides me need that? Yeah, let's pray that as a prayer of application. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you that you are with me when I am attacked. And that you, Jesus, are my security. Help me to live my faith. It's faithful to you. No matter what. Give me the strength to obey. And the wisdom to trust you. For all the outcomes. Keep my eyes focused on you, Jesus. Do everything you want in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's good, isn't he? He is. He is. I don't know who you're rooting for today, but uh, always root for the faithfulness of God. Uh, you can count on it 100% of the time. I love you guys. Let's, let's stand as we sing a little more.